Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 1 and then Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Susan. You know, a study from Duke University suggests that 40% of the actions we take every day are not the product of choice, but rather habit. And a habit is an action that has become so consistent that you do it without even thinking about it. It happens automatically. Uh, My grandmother, who is 96 years old now, she lived with us for five years until about a year ago. She was with us because she suffered from dementia, and she was non-functioning in a lot of ways except for her daily routine. There were certain things that she had no problem remembering and doing on her own because they had become so ritualized that the part of her brain that wasn't functioning properly wasn't engaged. She was on autopilot, and that's the way a habit works. Psychologists generally agree that much of what is fundamentally shaping our lives is happening unconsciously. And that means that we need habits that will shape our spiritual lives in positives and not negative ways, which is what we've been trying to lay out in this series. Or if you'd rather, we need liturgies, personal liturgies. That's the word James K. Smith uses because of the connotation with worship. Our habits are acts of worship. They reflect and reveal the things we love, but we've said they also have the power to shape our loves, and that's good news. Tish Harrison Warren wrote a wonderful little book called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. We've referenced it before in this series, and she put it like this. She said, we don't wake up daily and form a way of being in the world from scratch, and we don't think our way through every action of the day. We move, rather, in patterns that we have set over time, day by day. These habits and practices, they shape our loves our desires, and ultimately who we are as an act of worship. The crucible of our formation, she said, is the monotony of our daily routines. And so we've taken these four weeks to talk about four daily habits, daily routines, that we hope will over time become a common rule that we follow together as a church family. And this morning is the last one, and it is this. We are asking that you consider and that you commit to reading the Bible daily, which is not new for us. We have a thing we call community Bible reading, where we've committed to reading one Old Testament passage and one New Testament passage every day, but we're going to articulate it this way, that we would read the Bible 
uh, and put down our phones. Scripture before phones. A commitment to read the Bible first before we get lost in all of our phones every day. A commitment to Bible to read the Bible first as a priority above everything else and to live more profoundly from the book rather than the screen. I've heard more times than I can count people questioning our collective response to the current pandemic, and they say things like, we didn't do this with H1N1 or SARS, which were just as deadly, but this time around, you know, what's different? Why have we, why have we seen this full-blown hysteria? What's made the difference? And there's a simple answer to that question. This time around, we all have one of those little things we keep in our pockets. I don't have mine with me. I meant to have it uh, to show you. We all have phones. And that really, I believe, I believe strongly that that is the thing that has made the difference. Mark Sayers has used the phrase digital anxiety to describe the way our phones have given us a front row seat now to every piece of information, every tragedy, every story, in some cases every death, no matter where it's happening in the world. And the result of being exposed to more than ever before is the hysteria that we've seen. He's Australian. He told the story of traveling to the West Coast uh, not long ago during a layover in Hawaii, which, man, isn't that a great deal? You come from Australia to Oregon and get the layover in Hawaii, and they were there. And while they were there, during that day, there was an earthquake while he was there in the airport. It was just a small, minor thing. Nobody really even paid attention. Most people didn't even realize it. And they got on the plane. He told the story, and they went and uh, across you know the Pacific and landed in Portland, Oregon. And as they landed there on the tarmac, everybody started pulling their phones up and were scrolling through the news and realized by looking at the news that there had been an earthquake where they had just been in Hawaii. And he noted how there was more anxiety in the people on the plane in the digital experience of the earthquake than in the actual experience of it. And that is a problem. But it's something very real that we all face. And so... We need to turn our phones off and to open our Bibles. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Scripture before phone from Psalm chapter 1 and then in Psalm chapter 19. And we'll see these three things. These two Psalms teach us that we should read. They teach us why we should read. And they ultimately teach us how we should read. And so let's look at each of those in turn as we work our way through Uh, primarily Psalm 1, but looking at Psalm 19 as well. And so first, Psalm 1, the first thing is that it teaches us that we should read the Bible, that we should give our lives to a habit and a practice of reading the scriptures on a daily basis. Uh, There are two ways of living that are being contrasted there in Psalm Psalm 1. And the first is verse 1. It describes the man, look there, who walks not, or it's a man who walks in the counsel of the wicked and stands in the way of sinners and sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, the contrast is the person in verse 2 who, instead of all of that, this person delights in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, the one makes news outlets and social media mobs their companion and listens to them and adopts their narratives. The other makes the scripture their companion reading and meditating on it day and night. And he, this person, listens for God's voice in his word and allows what he says to be his reality. And it's the second man in verse 2, not the first man in verse 1, who Psalm 1 says is blessed. Blessed is the man who does not do this, but does this instead. That's a congratulatory word. It's a high five to the one who makes the Bible her companion throughout her life. Bravo. 
is another way of translating that word. Not because everything turns out the way that she wants it to, but because no matter how things turn out, she has all she needs to flourish. Now, it's a solitary road that Psalm 1 describes there. The man, if you notice, singular there, delighting in God's word among the wicked and sinners and scoffers, which are all plural. And so this is a person in making this choice who does not fit in with the crowds. He stands alone. He charts his own course because he is taking his cues from what God says in his word, which transcends the thinking of the political mobs, both left and right and so forth. Let me get as practical as I can here. And in doing so, come with me to Psalm 19. I wish we had time to look at all that the psalm says there. We don't. But it says, among, among all that it says, verse 7, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And so what the, the psalmist is saying there is that when you read the Bible, you're formed by its lens on life, which is that God is doing something wonderful in the world that will ultimately be for our good. And that breathes, that truth breathes life into your deadness. It breathes hope into your cynicism. It helps you get up and face the day. And that's the story that we need to recenter ourselves on every morning to be reminded of the big picture at the outset of every day. And so when you read, you are creating a morning liturgy of wonder and contentment that can carry you through the rest of the day. But if instead, the very first thing you do is to reach for the phone before you even get out of the bed and scroll through the news, you're already off on the wrong foot. As you sit with the scoffers and listen to their narratives, you're creating a morning liturgy of anger and fear in the place of contentment and wonder. Before the day even begins, you've already worked, you're already worked up, if you're anything like me. It all, and it carries over into the rest of your day. I mean, I've realized at some point over the last two months that this has started to happen to me as I just was living with this sense of anger and fear and resentment, and I realized that I was spending too much time reading about coronavirus and the economic collapse and so forth and getting more and more upset and frustrated and not not paying attention to God's word above all that I was reading in the news. Psalm 19 says in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I mean, and, and that means you read the Bible and you're reminded that God is generous and he's filled your life with good things. And the best way to enjoy them is to share them Share whatever you have, and to be as generous with your time and your treasures with others as you can. And so when you read, you're creating a morning liturgy of gratitude and humility that can frame and shape the rest of your day. But if instead you grab the phone, and the very first thing you do is spend the first 30 minutes of your waking moments of the day scrolling through social media, then before you even get out of bed and get on with the day, you're creating a morning liturgy of envy and vanity that shapes everything you do. You're being formed by social media and and its lens on life and not God's and left to spend the day thinking about all that you don't have that others do have and why things seem to be going so badly for you and they seem to be going so well for everybody else and what clever thing you might do to get uh, the likes that you might need to make you feel better about your life. Psalm 19 says, the fear of the Lord, verse 9, is clean the rule of the Lord, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I mean, you read the Bible and are reminded again and again that salvation is by grace, that rightness is 
rightness with God, and it's a gift worked out by Jesus Christ on your behalf. And so, in being reminded yet again every morning of that, you take a deep breath and relax into the day. It's a morning liturgy of grace. But if instead you take the very first minutes that you're awake to check your email and look at the calendar and to begin to form a to-do list in your mind, you're creating a morning liturgy of justification by works. You're training yourself to think in terms of your doing, which is deadly. And these are the two ways to live. Your morning liturgies impact the rest of the day in profound ways. And so, read. Read the scriptures. Scripture before phone. Secondly, Psalm 1 also teaches us not only that we should read, but also why we should read. And it's there in verse 3, because it's, listen to the way it describes the man who makes uh, God's law his delight and meditates on it day and night. It says, he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, this is the picture of the blessed man. And so hashtag blessed doesn't mean things are always going right in your life. That's not at all the picture here. Instead, it describes the person who has the internal resources that they need to be healthy and fruitful in all the different seasons of life. In plenty and in need, in victory and in defeat, in joy and in sorrow, the tree planted by the stream is impervious to the weather patterns because it has sufficient depth not only to survive but to thrive even in times of drought. And that's the picture. I can tell you from experience, I've seen people struggle and go through all sorts of really hard things, as you might imagine, in my line of work. And the ones who soar through it, unquestionably, those who soar through it are those who have an already established habit of reading the Bible daily. They seem to possess an inner strength and confidence that others do not have that is more than a match for whatever hard circumstances they find themselves facing. My mom would get up every morning. I remember this is a vivid childhood memory of mine. She would be up at 5 a.m. every morning before she went to work to read her Bible and pray. Almost every day of my childhood, it felt like. And when her cancer diagnosis came, it didn't change. If anything, she spent more time with God and his word. And you know, the cancer eventually killed her, but the closer to death she walked, the more fruitful and lovely she became. The Lord said to Joshua in our uh, reading of the law, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for I am with you no matter what. And so we see there that strength and courage, as opposed to fear and discouragement, come from knowing that for Jesus' sake, God is pleased with you. His smile is all over your life. He's with you, and, and that knowledge flows into your experience through his word. That's why you should read. And that's what it means to be blessed. Blessed is the man who, because he reads and meditates day and night, comes to believe against all his doubts that God is for him and therefore is not afraid no matter what comes. That's the teaching. Read. Meditate day and night, and you'll go through life flourishing. And then in judgment, you'll take your place in the congregation of the righteous, verse 5. But if you don't, if you don't figure out how to put this practice into your life, then you'll be like the chaff driven by the wind, verse 4. And chaff is the stuff that's, that's, that's left over once all the good stuff's been separated out. It's the worthless part of the, of, of the corn, 
whatever the whatever you know whatever the wind just blows away and you know and then it's, the rest is just thrown away because it's really worthless that that is the kind of life that this, this psalm warns that you'll live without a daily habit of, of reading God's word. And that kind of life will ultimately not stand in judgment. Look there, verse 5. And so whether you live, verse 1 or verse 2, whichever it is determines both the shape of your life here and now and also your eternal destiny. That is the teaching of this psalm. And I so badly want that to just sit on our souls this morning, and yet I, I came back to my manuscript and, and added this little note because I want to make sure, I, I want to make sure to say that reading the Bible doesn't get you to heaven. That's not at all what I'm saying. Having a relationship with God in Jesus is what gets you to heaven, but if you have a relationship with God like that, then you will read because that's how the relationship happens, which brings us to the last thing. The third thing Psalm 1 teaches us, not only that we should read and why we should read, but it also shows us how we should read. It says, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so it's not enough just to read the Bible. The psalmist loves to read the scriptures. It's his delight. And here's where the habit comes in. Because most people don't read because they, they don't enjoy it. Let's just be honest. The Bible can be confusing and inaccessible and, and well, boring. I mean, chronicles, goodness gracious, Anybody happy to see all of that in the rear view? Because it's just pe people, people have a hard time really getting into the habit, and because they don't enjoy it, they don't read. But that's backwards. That's what I want to say. That's backwards. At first, you read even when you don't enjoy. You read to grow to love the Bible, and then eventually you read because in reading you've come to love it as the psalmist does. It starts with a duty and then becomes a delight, but it is in that order, and we can't be afraid to talk like that. I mean, the ultimate goal is that the slave would become a child and that duty would become choice, as the famous line in the William Cooper hymn puts it, but in order for the duty to become a choice, it has to first be a duty. Before you uh, can love to read the Bible, you have to read. You have to have a habit of reading, and this is why we also believe so strongly in community Bible reading, reading together. Because if you don't love to read yet, read with people who do. Most of the people that I know who absolutely love to read and study the Bible, they caught their love and their delight for the scriptures from somebody else. The psalmist delights in God's law. But he delights in God's law because he delights in God himself. And so we need to be reminded that our love is not for the Bible, but for the God who makes himself known in the Bible. We must be careful not simply to love the study, the information, because that's not the point at all. You can make an idol out of the Bible as much as anything else. This was the error of the religious leaders in Jesus' time. He said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me, yet you refuse to come to me. And that's such an important lesson from Jesus. We should go to the Bible to get to him. It's possible to read and not get to Jesus, but if you do that, you're doing it wrong. And so this word law here in verse 3 of Psalm 1, it doesn't refer to just Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's a synonym for the whole revelation of the Bible, which is ultimately gospel. The law becomes gospel, and to Jesus's point in John 5, we read whatever chapter of the Bible we're in on a particular day in light of the whole. Now that's true of the law itself, 
the Ten Commandments and all the dietary laws and the measurements of the temple and the instructions about the furniture and so forth, that law there is a sign that points you to a greater spiritual reality in Christ. And so to delight in the law, to delight in the Bible, you have to know that even the law is part of the good news. The law uh, shows you your need of a Savior. That's what it's there to do. And so it points you to the one, away from itself, to the one who came from heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, God himself, born under the law to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law and his perfect obedience all throughout his life and to face the death sentence for sin that justice required on the cross. And so to quote from the Jesus Storybook Bible, something we need to keep in mind as we read, particularly the hard parts, it says the Bible isn't a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do or a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. It is a story. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all of the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell a story, and at the center of the story is Jesus. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And I love those words. And that has been my experience, that when all of the pieces fit together and you see the whole story from beginning to end and all of it ultimately fulfilled in the good news of Jesus Christ, then it becomes a delight. And so if you're going to not just read, but delight in what you read, you've got to know first that the law refers to the Bible as a whole, but you've also got to know that the Bible as a whole is God's law. Now, here's what I mean by that, that the goal is always faith energizing love, love for God, love for others. Believing the gospel leads to becoming the gospel. And this series of sermons has been much different than what we're used to. I felt it. I feel it even uh, this morning as I talk to this camera in this empty room. And I know some of you felt it too. These four sermons have been a call to action And we shouldn't be afraid of that. I don't want to back down from that. We are not saved by what we do. Let's don't be mistaken about that. We are not saved by what we do. We're saved by grace alone. But Dallas Willard used to say, grace is opposed to merit, but it is not opposed to effort. And Christians are, first of all, believers in Jesus Christ, but we are also followers. And the early Christian church in Acts was called the way. The way. So we should not be afraid of the word rule, as in our common rule. And we should not hear in it some obvious moralism. Listen again to Psalm 19. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. God's rules lead us to the right kind of living because they conform us to the way that we've been created. They are a manual for human flourishing. And that's why. That's why elsewhere the psalmist can say, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine? Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. When you see that you should read, and when you see why you should read, and when you learn how to read, then that that the psalmist says there, Oh, how I love your law. That will become true for you as well. And that's my prayer for all of us. And so would you pray with me to that end? Can we pray? Father, Grant us who were once slaves to sin to obey from the heart the teachings of these psalms and help us not to mistake effort for merit. And as we read day after day and especially when we don't really feel like doing it, 
cause your word to come alive to us and make it a delight, that we might become like the tree planted by streams of water. Jesus, you have saved us from the guilt and shame of our sins, and we give you thanks, but you also mean to save us from its power. So send the Holy Spirit to move us to the first steps of obedience. Help us as a church to be strategic and resilient. And these four habits we've been talking about, kneeling prayer three times a day, a meal with others, one hour with no phone, and the scripture before the phone, that we might better love you and love our neighbor. And as we engage in these small acts of love, we ask that you cause the feelings of love to follow, that we might be a people of genuine devotion to you. And we pray all this in your name and for your sake. Amen. Amen. Uh, These words from Hebrews that I've been reading as a benediction have really shaped my prayers for all of us as we uh, look at these four habits. Uh, We continue to pray for you. Be encouraged. um, Be diligent. Uh, Let's continue to pursue these things. Uh, They will be of great benefit to us, I, I really believe. And as you do, hear these words of promise about what God says he will be doing in your life as you are seeking him. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday. May God be gracious to us and-